Well, good morning, everybody. Wonderful to be able to worship with you this morning and uh, be a part of Twin Cities. Looking out on the world as you do, what a wonderful place. I haven't been up here. I was driving down the road and I thought, my goodness, is there a church out here or not? Trees and all the rest of it. And it uh, looks a little different from where I live, but uh, wonderful to be with you this morning. And uh, I am a part of the William Jessup uh, community and thank you for being a partner church with us. Um, just exciting days. I understand our president was here a couple of weeks ago and they are wonderful days and it's great to be a part of that place and a part of what God's doing in Northern California. Uh, just uh, amazing to see God working in and between and through the churches. So it's a pleasure to be with you this morning and to share in this uh, series through the Psalms. And I get the best Psalm of all, the 23rd Psalm. It's the only Psalm you all know. So uh, this is perfect. I share some thoughts with you from that Psalm. Would you just bow, take a moment and bow with me in prayer and then we'll jump into it. Father, we simply pray this morning that you'd open our hearts and our minds to hear from you. Not my words, but the words that your spirit would speak to us, that we might meet you, we might encounter you in a fresh way. Thank you for these ancient words with, with such contemporary relevance. We are grateful for it and ask you to guide our time now in Jesus' name. Amen. I have three boys. Two of them have left home. The youngest is 14. He's still at home, and the place feels like we're just rattling around. It's where, where is all the noise gone? And recently, Joel and I sat down, and we watched our favorite trilogy. Uh, it is uh, Peter Jackson's cinematic depiction of Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. We watched all three. It took us about a week. You know, we watched it in parts because I kept falling asleep. But we love this film series. Wonderful set of films that uh, have a powerful, powerful message. Came out in 2001, 2002, 2003. Yes, it's been that long. <laughs> I thought, my goodness, has it been so long ago that it came out? But the story, as many of you would know, simply tells of uh, um, Frodo Baggins and Samwise Gamgee who have to destroy the one ring that has the potential to rule all rings. They have to destroy it before it falls into the hands of the Dark Lord Sauron. And uh, really this powerful set of stories, the three of them in fact, uh, are involving a battle for Middle Earth. And it forms an incredible trilogy. You could watch the first film, The Fellowship of the Ring, and you could stop there and it would be a fine film, it would be fascinating and the special effects would be mind-boggling, particularly given that it's a decade old now. But you wouldn't know the end of the story. Similarly, you could watch the last movie, The Return of the King, and that would be a wonderful story in itself, but you wouldn't know the background, you wouldn't know the backstory to why they're trying to destroy this ring. It's, it's not that clear. So you really have to, you have to watch all three to get the full impact of the message. All three parts are necessary to make sense of what is going on. And our psalm this morning is much the same way. Psalm 23 is actually a middle piece of, of a trilogy. It may be the most well-known psalm of all, maybe one of the most well-known passages of the Bible, even to unbelievers. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. 
And yes, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You have prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We often hear the psalm at funerals. It's a psalm of comfort and reassurance. But Psalm 23 is part of a trilogy. It's the middle part, and like the Lord of the Rings, when we put the three parts together, we get a remarkably different picture. Let's go back to part one for just a moment. Because part one is actually Psalm 22. And Psalm 22 may be more familiar than some of you might imagine. The words perhaps will ring a bell. Jesus is on the cross, and Matthew records for us in Matthew chapter 27 that about three o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They're words with which we're familiar They're the words that we know. They are the very words that start Psalm 22. Jesus, in his distress, is quoting the psalmist. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You ever felt that way? A marriage is collapsing and we cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Test result comes back from the doctor and we cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? A child dies and we cry it again. Our home is foreclosed on and we cry out again. We're the victims of crime or bullying and we cry out again. We're single and we're lonely and we cry out again. We're battling an addiction and we cry out again. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22 verse 1 might be the most common cry of all. Then in verses 14 through 18, listen to these words. I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a broken piece of pottery. My tongue cleaves to my jaws. And you, God, lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look. They stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. It's an incredible prophetic picture of Jesus on the cross, isn't it? But it is also the desperate words that many of us would speak. Each semester, I teach a course at uh, the university where I ask students simply to describe my story so far. Not all the students are even Christians. 
And so I simply asked them to describe their experiences of God, whatever that may be, two or three of their experiences up until this point in time. Well, perhaps to discuss the things that have hindered them from really seeing God. They're all transfer students. They've come into the university from other colleges and other places. And we've been together about three or four weeks is all. Not enough time to build a lot of trust. And when I receive those assignments and start reading those assignments, they reduce me to silence. I have 40 to 60 students in that class. And I would guess that there are 80 to 90% of those students who in those moments, in those words, describe experiences of deep woundedness, deep hurt, deep pain, abandonment, And the surprise for me in recent years is to realize that this has become the norm. My God, my God, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? We all face hardship and suffering. We all know the grief of conflict and loss. And I guess if we stopped in Psalm 22, it would be a terribly sad place to stop, wouldn't it? Thankfully, there's more. Psalm 22 is not the end of the story. The psalm of anguish is followed by a psalm of confidence. And suddenly, Psalm 22 was about conflict. Psalm 23 is about comfort. Psalm 22 was ruin. Psalm 23 is restoration. Psalm 22 was despair, Psalm 23 is deliverance. And the two Psalms couldn't be more different. The God who felt so absent, first of all, now becomes the shepherd who guides us and leads us. And deep pain gives way to quiet confidence. Suddenly, the reality of death in Psalm 22, where we are facing it starkly, where we are feeling it deeply, it melts away and we realize that it is but the valley of the shadow of death. We have nothing to fear. It changes our perspective. I moved up to Northern Cal from Southern Cal. Moved to Southern Cal from Australia. <laughs> I've been moving around a little bit. Spent 10 or 11 years in Southern California, and a friend of mine down there is a police officer in Orange County. He is uh, on the force at the Fullerton Police Department, been there for a long, long time. Jason was telling me a story one time that, uh, that spoke to this issue of perspective for me. They received a phone call, they were called out to an apartment, neighbours had called because there are a couple of little girls in this apartment that they felt were being mistreated. Jason was one of the officers on hand. They pulled up, up at the front of the place and they went in and there they found a mother who was high on drugs and two little girls, a seven-year-old and a three-year-old. These two girls are her daughters. It was very clear that they couldn't leave the girls in that situation. The seven-year-old in and out of school, one would guess. Who knows? Mum hadn't been looking after her terribly well. 
And it was up to Jason to take the girl, pop him in the back of the cruiser and take him back to the station. And as Jason's driving down the road, he just thought, you know, these poor girls in these dire, dire circumstances. I should just strike up some conversation. So he struck up conversation with a seven-year-old and thought, you know, I should just talk about normal things with her for a minute. He says, how do you like school? She says, I I love school. love school a lot. What do you love about school? She says, I love the stories at school. And Jason thought, the stories at school? Didn't say anything to the girl. And then he realized she was not talking about public school. She was talking about Sunday school. He said, what's your favorite story? She said, my favorite story is the one about the two women and the baby and the king. And Jason said, tell me about that story. She said, oh, you know the story where, where the two women both want the baby and the king's going to cut it in half and kill it and give half to each mum. And the real mother says, don't do it, and she gives up her child that story. And Jason said, why is that your favorite story? And she said, because it reminds me that sometimes the most loving thing my mom can do is give me up for my good. What sort of culture do we live in? where that is the favorite story of a seven-year-old. But she'd understood perspective. And suddenly, death itself had become nothing more than the valley of the shadow of death, even to that seven-year-old girl. Psalm 22 paints a picture of life's hardship. Psalm 23 paints a picture of life's deeper reality as we look to Jesus. And here's something I love about the 23rd Psalm. In Psalm 23, all of the verbs in this Psalm, except one, can be translated in both the present or the future. The verbs have a a dual meaning throughout the Psalm. The Lord is and will be my shepherd. I don't want today and I won't want tomorrow. I will never be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures now and always. He leads me beside still waters now and every day after this. He restores my soul in this present moment and any moment that I need restoration in the future. And though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death today, or I face it again tomorrow, or I face it again ten years from now, I will fear no evil, because you are with me now, and you will be with me tomorrow, and you will be with me ten years from now. You prepare a table right now in the presence of my enemies before me, and if it happens and is needed again in the future, it'll happen again. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup, it overflows today. It will overflow tomorrow. It will overflow always. Surely goodness and mercy, they are pursuing me now. They will pursue me forever. 
And I will dwell in the house of the Lord today. I will dwell in his presence tomorrow. Nothing will move me from his presence for eternity. That's the sense of the 23rd Psalm. And whatever I face right now, whatever you're facing right now, whatever you've brought with you today, whatever you woke to this morning, this is the reality of the 23rd Psalm for those of us who follow Jesus. And this last verse of Psalm 23 is really the key verse for me. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me. The word is pursue relentlessly. Surely God's covenant love will chase after me and I can't get away from it. And I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In 1893, Francis Thompson published his famous uh, 183-line poem called The Hound of Heaven. Interestingly enough, it became a poem that later influenced Tolkien in his writings as well. And part of that poem described God pursuing us with these words, with unhurrying chase and unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, majestic instancy. God is relentless with us. Remember that old song, a man chases a girl until she catches him? (laughs) Well, that's how it is with God. We think we're on this search for him. All we're doing is catching up with him who has been pursuing us relentlessly for a lifetime. Paul put it this way, while we were dead in our sins, while we were yet sinners... While we had no understanding at all of what God was doing, Christ died for us. God took the initiative. John put it a little differently when he said, This is love, not that we love God, but that He first loved us. He takes the initiative, and we spend our lives catching up with Him. That's the 23rd Psalm. And then Psalm 24 finishes the story. It's not just the story of the ancient psalmist, it's in fact our story. And in a glorious refrain, the psalmist lays out his vision for the future. Listen to how he puts, these, puts it in these words. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains. The world and those who dwell in it. He has founded it upon the seas. He has established it upon the rivers. Verse 7. Lift up your heads, O gates. Be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Sounds Sounds like Lord of the Rings to me. Return of the King. It's the third part of the trilogy. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates. Lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. And this trilogy, Psalms 22, 23, and 24, traces our story from despair to hope, from fear to confidence from turmoil to peace, from bondage to freedom, from abandonment to glory. And friends, this is the gospel. It's the gospel in the Psalms. However we have been living, there is a different way to live and a different future for us all to experience. Now, where do you find yourself this morning? (laughs) If this was your story, where do you find yourself this morning? 
Which psalm have you settled into? Perhaps you've settled into the 22nd psalm. God, if you only could see what I'm going through. God, don't you care how hard it is for me? Yesterday, Kim and I were in a bookstore in uh, Roseville. A Christian bookstore just wandered in, hadn't been in there before, and we saw it and said, oh, let's, let's stop and take a look. Uh, Joel was off at Folsom Lake, so we had a few minutes to ourselves, ducked into this uh, bookstore, had a conversation with a lady in the store, and uh, Kim actually recognized her from a someplace they'd bumped into each other 18 months ago, and uh, they swapped names, and, and then we just said, and how are you doing? She said, not very well. She's been through a rough divorce. Last month, she couldn't pay her bills. Her local church helped her out paying her bills last month. Her son's just finished college. He doesn't have a job. He doesn't have any money. He wants to move out. They can't make ends meet together. How easy it would be for her to live in Psalm 22. And yet she chooses to live in Psalm 23. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Where are you in the story right now? In John chapter 10... Jesus spoke with his disciples and he drew out this same kind of imagery that we see in the 23rd Psalm. He said in verse 7, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Two verses later, he says, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he shall be saved and he shall go in and out and find pasture. Two verses later, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Three verses later, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. And then a few verses later again, he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them and they shall never perish. If you're hearing his voice this morning, I mean in a deep place in your heart, are you ready to follow him? The reason so many of us live in Psalm 22 and never make it to Psalm 23 is because we don't make the daily choice to follow Jesus. He said, oh, my sheep know my voice. I know them well. And when they follow me, then I give eternal life to them and they will never perish. If we are anything like the groups of students that gather in classrooms with me, then a bunch of us this morning feel like Psalm 22 where our tongue is sticking to the roof of our mouth. Life is dry, life is hard, life is difficult. And this morning... In a fresh way, Jesus invites us into Psalm 23. That we might leave this place and say, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. 
He is leading me right now beside still waters. He restores my soul. This ancient trilogy redirects our attention to the Holy Trinity, especially Jesus. Perhaps a few of us this morning need to transition from the 22nd to the 23rd Psalm. If that's true for you, then as we bow our heads and pray, would you pray with me? Father, we bow before you this morning because there is enough stuff happening in our lives that we feel burdened, that we feel overwhelmed, that we feel anxious, that we feel worried, we feel unsure. There's enough stuff going on that we feel hurt and wounded and abandoned and alone. And even in this place, we can carry that feeling. But Father, in this moment, we want to lay that down. And all of the stuff of life that holds us into the first part of the story, we hand to you. And we invite you. We implore you. Guide us into those green pastures, those still waters, that place of restoration. Father, I pray where dryness has been the the reality in the lives of people here that you would replace it with freshness. I pray, Lord, that where there has been a sense of despair, you would indeed bring restoration as we look to you. Jesus, be our shepherd again, even this week, we pray. Amen.